0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Ava Thanheiser, and I'm talking with Megan Wickstrom from Montana State University today. We will be discussing the article, Developing Pre-Service Teachers' Understanding of Area Through a Unit's Intervention. Published in the February 2022 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons she shared in the article, her successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to her other work. Megan, can you briefly introduce yourself?
1: Thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm Megan Wickstrom. I'm an associate professor of mathematics education in the Department of Mathematical Sciences. At Montana State University in Bozeman, Montana, and I've been there for eight years.
0: Yay! And you're in sabbatical right now, yes, which I is love awesome. <laughs> All right, so let's jump in. Can you give us a brief summary of the article, including the results?
1: Yes. So in this article. My goal was to document an intervention mathematics teacher educators could use to bolster pre-service elementary teachers' understanding of area. And from past research, my own and others, we know that pre-service teachers often enter content courses with limited understandings of area.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like that's one of the things I've been really struggling in the content courses. Area is always hard for them.
1: Yes, and most of the research out there, or many of the studies, have focused on uncovering formulas and thinking mm-hmm. about pre service teachers' understanding of formulas and unpacking where they come from. But we know from chil- research on children's thinking that before we even get to formulas, we have to understand area and unit structuring. And so that's where my intervention takes place, is in that space of thinking about units, thinking about area units, and where do those ideas about multiplication and area overlap. And to document whether or not this intervention was effective in the article, I draw on the different strategies that they use and the correctness across strategies. And I zoom in on specific case studies to really help the reader see some of the things that pre-service teachers are grappling with.
0: Yeah. So as I'm listening to you and as I was reading through the article, I was thinking about a task I used to pose my students. And I feel like if I ask them what is 15 times 32, they can figure it out. But if I give them an area model and say, this is the area of I should have calculated what 15 times 32 is. Whatever that is, what are the side lengths? They cannot do it. And it's just really interesting. And I feel like in your article, you touch on a lot of issues that deal with that. So I was super excited to read this. So let's jump into who is the
1: article for? So I would say the article is for two different audiences. The first audience, I would say, is math teacher educators teaching content courses. So anyone who's interested in incorporating hands-on activities into their content courses to really unpack and explore area. The second person I think this might interest is someone who might be teaching a graduate course on learning theories or thinking about learning trajectories because I think the task does a really nice job at eliciting different types of strategies and helping pre-service teachers or whomever you're working with Think about the strategies and how they're connected to each other and how they can build off of one another.
0: Cool. So why, other than I clearly care because I struggled with this, <laughs> but why is this an important problem for our community that you're addressing?
1: So what I found super fascinating about this problem is that this has been something that we as a field have wrestled with for a long time. And, and by a long time, I mean like 30 years or 40 years, which feels like a long time. But it's something that someone, people in the field have talked about, and then it kind of goes under the surface for a little bit, and then it revives itself. So when I first got interested in this, I had found an article that was really, that I drew a lot from, which was an article, it was a Batiro and Nason article from 1996 in Educational Studies and Mathematics. And I believe both of them are... Australian researchers, and they had done this in-depth look at all of the different strategies that pre-service teachers use when solving area task. And they showed that pre-service teachers really—they really struggled with some of the things that you were talking about, like if they multiplied two side lengths together, specifically, like if they multiplied, you know, two decimals together, like two and a half times two and a half. They struggled with figuring out how can they see the area inside of that square. And then we. There were further articles. So there was an article by Simon and Bloom, I believe in 1994, and JRME. And then what was super interesting is when I wrote this piece, one of the reviewers actually identified this uh, conference proceeding from the early, I think 1990, where another researcher had talked about these issues. And so, as an early career teacher, when I saw this in my classroom, I started wondering how can I help pre-service teachers? How can I help them make sense of area? And what activities and insights can I draw on from the field? And when I went to consult different resources, what I found was that those calls from the early 90s to develop tasks and to think about pre-service teachers' understanding of area, they really hadn't gone answered. And so that was what kind of motivated me to dive into this field and think about how can we support them in understanding concepts of area.
0: And as you were talking, I, I was also thinking, especially with the two and a half times two and a half example, they will often do four and a quarter, right? Where they mm-hmm. multiply the whole number and the fraction, it, like the a plus b squared is a squared plus b squared kind of idea, yes. right?
1: Yeah.
0: And so yeah. that's one of the fundamental reasons why we need to really understand how and why multiplication works, because it's, it's everywhere, right?
1: Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter where yeah. you go down the road. And for them in particular, I think one of the things that I stress to them is that when we look at things like the Common Core, the area model is interwoven throughout all of the Common Core. And so as teachers, they need to be able to look at something like that and use it flexibly as this tool for their students to be able to understand and visualize multiplication.
0: And the common core actually does a really nice way or the, they have these progressions through the common core and there's like a lot of nice color examples that use color to make some of those connections. All right. So the next question, um, is what, how do you build on prior work, which you just answered? I
1: think. Did you want to add anything else? I think the other thing that I wanted to add was where did my task stem from? So my work, the theoretical underpinnings of the study were really based on this idea of learning trajectories or mapping how students come to know a concept over time and what the instructor can do to support them in that understanding. And so as a graduate student, I was fortunate enough to work with Dr. Jeff Barrett at Illinois State University, and he does work with children's learning trajectories. And as a graduate student, I worked a lot with teachers and helping teachers integrate their understanding of learning trajectories into practice. So listening to students and figuring out how can we respond to students. And one of the things that I wondered about as I worked with the teachers was I wondered about how they reasoned about these concepts. And this became even clearer when I was working with pre-service teachers in the classroom. I wondered I wondered like how are they thinking about these topics and and how do they understand these different concepts of measurement? And one of the things that I find really interesting about pre-service teachers is that they reason in a lot of in a lot of ways similar to students, but in a lot of ways they have this extra conceptual baggage that they bring along for the ride and for measurement topics a lot of it is these formulas. They cling on to these formulas and they haven't really received that in depth understanding of where the formulas come from and and kind of the conceptual underpinnings.
0: Yeah, I have found out too that it's kind of a drawback for pre-service teachers. Not only do they know the formulas, they also trust the formulas more than they trust their own instincts. So, okay. it's an interesting dilemma that you face when you get to work with them. So, let's get to your intervention. Can you tell us a little bit about the intervention, what it is, and how it addresses this problem of pre-service teachers not yet understanding?
1: Yeah. So, my intervention is a three-day activity. And here at Montana State, the course that I teach the each day is about a 50-minute class period. So, if you're thinking about it in terms of timing, it's usually about, you know, maybe 100 to 150 minutes of classroom time. And so, in the The first day of the activity, the pre-service teachers are presented with this 32 by 32 stud Lego mat. And so when they're presented with the mat, they're given several different types of Legos, so different rectangular and square Legos. And what they're asked to do is to determine how many Legos it would take to cover the mat completely was built off of a study in 2017 that I did with my colleagues where we looked at different strategies that pre-service teachers use when they're trying to tile a space. And so the purpose of that first day is for the pre-service teachers to really uncover some of these strategies. And if it's helpful, I can kind of unpack those strategies too. That they Yes.
0: Use. So I'm envisioning, I think your image shows like one of those green
1: Lego... Yeah, like um, the foundation.
0: Yeah, the flat thing. And so you say it has 32 by 32. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: I think on the image, there's like different sized Lego pieces. Yeah. So are you asking the students are
1: to just fill the whole thing? This is where it gets really interesting and fun. What I have on the table for them is these bags of Legos. So let's say like maybe I have 100 two by two Legos sitting in a bag. And so they have to decide what they want to do. They can take a little bit of each one. They can take a whole bag. And I purposefully structured it so that there aren't enough to cover the whole space. And so as they're working through that task, usually there's five different strategies that kind of pop up. The first strategy is just accounting strategy, like what you mentioned. So where they try to just kind of fill the whole space or what does it space. Does it matter which size they're using? Uh, yes. Yeah. So they're asked to think about one Lego in its entirety. So each Lego, how many of, of that particular Lego would it take to cover?
0: And so there is square Legos and rectangular Legos, right? But yeah. you, it doesn't matter. They can pick whichever shape they want. They just need to cover it with that shape.
1: Yes. Yeah. So okay. it's up to them what they want to start with. So some of them they might use counting. Some of them go back to this idea of length times width and use multiplication strategy, where maybe they outline the length and outline the width. Some of them, especially with the rectangular units, they'll do something that we call addition of parts, where they separate the mat into different regions. and maybe they have a multiplication statement for a region and then they're counting another part of the region. The reason that I developed this was actually to get at the comparing unit strategy, which is based on Susan Lehman's idea of unitizing, where another strategy that they can use is to compare units. So if they know that it takes maybe one, I don't know if it took 10 two by two blocks, and you have a two by one block, you know that that's half as big, so it should take twice as many. And then the last strategy is this idea of dividing. So on the Legos, there's studs, is what they're called. And there's a certain number of studs on the mat. And so sometimes the pre-service teacher will take the number of studs on the mat and then divide by the number of studs on the Lego piece to determine the quantity needed.
0: Okay. So let me see if I can restate. So the first one, I could imagine filling that whole green Lego piece with like one by one. uh, Sorry, there's no one by one, two by twos. Or is there one by ones?
1: There are one by ones.
0: Okay. (laughs) So I could fill it with one by ones and that answer would give me what we would think usually of area, right? Yeah. And then I could fill it with two by twos or two by fours and but always with the same color. yeah, and so then there's different strategies to get it. Like if I already covered it with one piece, then I could just compare that piece to another piece and then use that information. Yes, the other thing you said is I could take the whole green thing, which is 32, and divide it by the size of what I'm rolling mm-hmm. it with, which is really kind of having one dimension and finding the other one. Though it's not really the dimension of the square, you would find a different area dimension. Yeah. Wow. That is really
1: intriguing. So that's the first part. Is yeah. We- that's the first day. And I okay. think what's really interesting about the first day that I didn't expect was that we spend a lot of time talking about the Lego pieces and how we should call them. So should we talk about them in terms of their area, like the number of studs on the piece? Should we talk about them by their length and their width? And so it gives us opportunity to talk about these different attributes and the way that we can talk about the pieces. And then we spend Did a lot somebody of somebody suggest color? Yes. Yeah, they're so also all a different yeah. color, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So sometimes people will suggest color but yeah, so that first day we we really just talked about the dimensions, the attributes, and then we spend a lot of time just trying to nail down like usually I have a whiteboard and I have them articulate their strategies and we think about like is this the same as this strategy or is this different and getting them to really voice what they're doing. So I want to come back
0: to the two naming conventions you just mentioned which could be like either we refer to Lego by its area. So I could say it's a two or I could do the dimensions, which could be a two by one or one by yes. two. Yes. And that is super related and super difficult for pre- like even that connection. I think that's the crux, right? Of them understanding area. So yeah. the fact that that comes naturally out of that task is pretty amazing because that's usually so artificial to talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting. And then like the other thing I thought that I had not anticipated would come out of this task is on day two, on day two, we usually talk about where where do these strategies stem from? And does the strategy relate to length? Does the strategy strategy relate to area? And would you want to use the strategy on all the Legos? Because some of the strategies naturally lend themselves better to different Lego pieces. So multiplication, for example, the square Legos they know right away how to multiply and find the area. But the rectangular, okay. the rectangular Legos are much more challenging because most of them don't tile the space completely. And what I had not anticipated was the same thing that the Simon and Bloom article showed in 1994, was that they want to take the rectangular Legos and lay out the longest attribute along the length and the longest attribute along the width and so every single time I teach this, we get into this interesting conundrum where, for example, I had a, a group of pre service teachers where two of them said, Well, it's going to take the same amount as, of two by one Legos as two by two Legos. Because look, I have, you know, let's say it's 16 spanning the length and 16 spanning the width for each. And when I multiply those two together, I get the same. And then I have the The other two in the group saying, Well, no, that doesn't make sense because this two by one is half the size of the two by two. So it should take more. It should take a lot more. And so we have this every single time I teach this, we have this conversation and I bring it to the front and have the whole class talk through this. Like, what do you think? How can we interpret this through these two different strategies? And the rectangular Legos really allow myself, as the instructor, and the other instructors who've taught this to get at that idea that. Multiplication and length times width, how that connects to groups and number in a group.
0: Yeah. And I guess the other thing that is really difficult is to understand that area is measured by units of area and not by units of length, right? Which is yeah. where all of this confusion comes from. Yeah. Because that's, I think it's the first time we switch on our students, right? Because when we do addition and subtraction, we add and we the answer is the same unit as each of the parts but in multiplication and division we like think about length and width and then we get area and that's like confusing right
1: yeah it's super confusing
0: i love this idea that you just mentioned that like if we used square pieces no matter what size it's easier for them to see it because their size matches, at least in this case, the square matches the square green. So when you talk about area here, it gives you the opportunity to talk about area with respect to different units too, which is also something we don't usually do, right? Because usually areas are one by one. And so yeah. area for a two by two versus a two by one. So that it gives you this, this idea of also clarifying that we're actually measuring with area pieces because look, there's yeah. different answers. That's
1: cool. So yeah. explain day two a little bit more in depth. So in day two, most of them, I mean, most of them after day one, I would say, if for anyone else thinking about trying this task, they get drawn to those rectangular units. They get kind of frustrated with them, (laughs) and then I usually tell them, you know, pick a different unit, try something else, develop some different strategies. And so day two is really kind of going back and clarifying those strategies and working with the Legos that they found challenging to begin with. So we spend a lot of time in day two, just solidifying those strategies, being able to articulate what we did and just giving them time to like clean up their thinking and be able to revise their ideas to be able to put them out there. And uh, when
0: you talk about strategies, is there two main different strategies that one is you get the length times the width and one is you separate it down into regions?
1: I would say there's four, besides counting, there's four different strategies. So one, okay. one is the multiplication, getting the number of units that you need for the length and the width. One is what you said, the addition of parts strategy where they're separating it into different regions. The third strategy is comparing units. So like if you've already tiled with this Mm -hmm. two by two unit, can you infer how many four by four units you would need? And then the fourth strategy is thinking about division and just focusing in on on the two areas and comparing the areas of the space. When I think about the four strategies, two really boil down to ideas about multiplication, the addition of parts and multiplication, and two really boil down to thinking about and comparing areas, which is the comparing Mm -hmm. units and then um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so day three? So on day three, this one I added on in the last couple implementations of the task. And I thought it was a really nice opportunity to come back to multiplication and thinking about the area model in terms of fraction multiplication, mixed number multiplication, and revisiting some of those ideas now that they have the idea that different size units can exist and that we can work with these units in different ways. So, for example, on day three, we do tasks like draw me two different area models of three something like three-fourths times seven-eighths and think about different units that you can use and what does that show about the multiplication. So, that seems like a huge jump from days one and two. So, talk about how day three goes. What's interesting is that most of the students have had the number and operations course prior to this course. They've learned this before. And so it's almost like revisiting past material. And most of them feel pretty comfortable multiplying three-fourths times seven-eighths and generating something that they've seen before, like from the previous course. So maybe drawing So
0: a I'm trying to think about, like, if I had this experience with Legos, how would I think about three-fourths and seven-eighths now?
1: Well, so one way that they could think about it is that you have this denominator that could be partitioned into same-size units. So instead of thinking about three fourths as three fourths, I could think about three fourths as six eighths. And now instead of thinking about three fourths times seven eighths, I could think about it as six eighths times seven eighths. And now I have this, I have these same size units. But what's really interesting is then they start trying to grapple with what is the, like they understand that these different units and different size of units can exist, but they begin to grapple with how big is that unit.
0: So Mm -hmm.
1: I have 42 of these things, but what are these things? Yeah. And how do I understand what the denominator is? So there's a few things
0: I'm thinking about because in our system, whole numbers is in a different course than fractions. In a sense, it seems like I have to almost do the fractions after the whole numbers here to really understand the whole numbers as well. Mm -hmm. So I like how you're putting
1: them together as a task. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. I mean, it's really fun. And I think that third day, for me at least, it's not too much of a stretch because they've seen this before. So it's almost like revisiting something again through a new lens.
0: All right. So my next question is, how did you research or what question did you look at to document that this is actually effective, this innovation?
1: So I, I actually spent a lot of time, I really wanted to write this piece up for, for MTE. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how could I structure my data collection in a way that, that it would tell the story of this task. So the two things that I looked at, the two research questions were one about the correctness. So the first thing that I, I looked at was I had my pre-service teachers solve these area tiling tasks, once before the intervention began and once after the intervention. And I think it's important to kind of talk about what a tiling task is. So a tiling task is asking them to use a particular kind of tile to tile a space and to explain their thinking. So for example, one of the tasks that I would give them might be something like how many three by three inch tiles would it take to cover a square foot? Draw a picture and tell me how you know. And so I always would try to choose one tile where that tile would cover the space completely and one tile where there would be partial tiles. So for example, I might choose something like a three by three tile and a nine by nine tile or a four by four tile and an eight by eight tile. So that way I could get a sense of how are they grappling with the problem when, you know, there's a whole number for the side lengths versus like a partial number. Needed. Okay. So I ask at the before the intervention and after the intervention and the things that I attended to were the strategies that they used. So for each one I asked them, can you try to do this in two different ways? So I looked to see what are the strategies that they're using. And then I looked at the correctness across those strategies. So you know, are they able to use a wide array of strategies? Are these Are they able to use more than one strategy? Um, And how correct are they in these strategies? So what did you find? Prior to doing the intervention, it's really important, I think, to think about after, like prior to the intervention was still after they had received their typical instruction. And our typical instruction is still pretty robust. So they're still getting multiple weeks on studying area formulas, thinking about different principles of area, like moving and additivity. And what I found was that prior to the intervention, that pre-service teachers, there were a couple things that I found pretty surprising. So first off was that a lot of them for like a three by three tile that could cover completely, there were still three of them using what I call linear reasoning, where instead of even thinking about area, they're applying formulas for length to area. So three of them are still doing that. A lot of them were doing counting, so they were trying to draw the picture and count up, and then a couple were using multiplication, but not very many, like maybe one was using these other strategies. And for the tile that doesn't cover in a whole number of tiles, most of the pre-service teachers, they had no idea what to do. They would try to draw a picture and maybe draw like a 9 by 9 tile over the 12 by 12 tile, and then maybe write me a note, like, I don't know where to go next, or I don't know what to do next. And so they were really struggling with trying to coordinate number and space. And the thing that I found super interesting, if we had focused so much prior to the intervention on, on multiplication and area formulas, and when faced with that nine by nine tile, only one pre-service teacher uh, tried to use multiplication to actually make sense of how many nine by nine tiles would go into a square foot.
0: So can I ask you a quick question? You distinguish counting from multiplication. Can you share quickly how you think about multiplication?
1: So I think about multiplication as them being able to talk about, well, for the most part, how it surfaces is them being able to talk about the side lengths in relation to the area and thinking about the side lengths being indicative of like the groups and number in a group. And so a lot of times when I think about coding for counting, it's more that they are, you can see evidence of them just like building units on and kind of counting them and guessing and checking. And there isn't evidence of this idea of a systematic approach where they're comparing maybe side lengths of the tile to the area.
0: So if they did a thing like they tiled a space and counted how many there are in one row and then counted how many rows there are, That Would that still fall into counting or would that fall into multiplication? That would fall into multiplication. Okay, so counting is more a counting one-by-one idea.
1: Yes, yeah. Or in an unsystematic way where there's not evidence of them thinking about structure. Okay. Yeah, and I would say I don't see that as often. Like for adult learners, if they're covering a space with tiles, like the three-by-three tile into a square foot, Most of the time, they'll start by drawing a picture and start counting and then multiplication will kind of dawn on them like, oh, I could use multiplication to describe this. Where I see a lot of counting going on is where they're in a space that they can't make sense of it. So like the nine Mm -hmm. by nine or eight by eight into a 12 by 12, they're not sure how to quantify those pieces that are remaining. So then they start just trying to count the pieces and bring them together. So
0: this leads into two questions for me. The first one is even if they did like a structured counting of like how many are there in a row and then how many rows are there, how do you know that they're thinking about area with respect to area, you know, like with the larger area with
1: respect to the smaller tile? That's something that still kind of remains unknown, like until I talk to them one-on-one and then I kind of know a little bit more about what they're thinking. For me, I think that's kind of a stepping stone into them being able to think in a more complex way about how the attributes relate to each other.
0: So if I'm stepping back and thinking about what is the goal of your intervention, it is really, and I'm going to say something, you'll correct me, okay? Okay. It is about seeing the structure of multiplication within the tiling. Is that one of the aspects you want to get at?
1: Yes, yes, and understanding how those th- how the attributes those two attributes, the length attributes and the and the area attributes can inform each other. So giving them ways okay. to kind of play with space to understand how those what are things that we can infer, what are things that we can understand just by looking at those different attributes. So you told
0: us that they struggled before your intervention. What happened after?
1: So after They were one of the things that I saw was that they improved significantly in their ability to solve the tiling task and in the number of strategies that they implemented. So, more of the pre service teachers were able to solve the task in two different ways correctly. And most of them shifted from primarily using counting or multiplication to kind of dispersing across the different strategies. And one thing I I was really excited about was that the linear reasoning, which I wanted to kind of eradicate was gone. So none of them were thinking about area measurement in terms of length conversions. And most of them were also able to really draw a picture to leverage and explain their calculations. So you can see kind of changes in the article where they're able to draw in the particular units, look at the side lengths, and they're able to really leverage those pictures As ways to justify their reasoning, in the pre-assessment prior to the intervention, it was like they would try a particular strategy and they weren't sure of it, but they didn't have another way to kind of leverage their understanding to double check that what they were thinking was correct. So, you know, one of the case studies, he did something correct, but he wasn't sure about it. And so he was trying to do calculations to make sure that what he had done was correct, And I didn't see that in that second post-intervention assessment where now they're able to kind of draw on these different strategies to help support their thinking.
0: All right, that's exciting. Yeah. So how would you summarize
1: the contribution that you're making to our field? So I think there's two contributions. The major contribution, I think, is that call. So in the 1994 Simon & Bloom article, they said, They basically made a call to the field that we need more tasks to support pre-service elementary teachers in reasoning about area, and we need tasks that promote promote them playing, promote them thinking, promote them talking with each other about these ideas. So I would say that's the first contribution is just getting this out there and giving mathematics teacher educators the opportunity to try this and see what they find and see how their pre-service teachers understand this task. And then the second is to think through to add to the to what we understand about pre-service teachers and their understanding of measurement. So, like I mentioned before, a lot of studies on area measurement have been from um, more of like a dynamic perspective of thinking about formulas and where do they come from, but not really focused on those building blocks and understanding units. And so I think from this article, we can really see that. Pre-service teachers aren't that different from elementary students. They need time to play. They need time to explore. They need time to really visualize what they're working with, and then by giving them those time ta- that time to play in a space and really reason about a task with tangible tools, they're able to to make great leaps and bounds in their understanding about area.
0: Awesome. Usually, we close with two questions: How do you see other people using this intervention? I think that's pretty clear since you have a lesson plan attached there. Yes. And then how does your
1: the work you described fit with your work in general? So, well, one thing I wanted to put out there is I thought a lot about the lesson plan. Dr. Karen Hollebrand's encouraged me to create that as a appendix. And so anyone wanting to try this task, I would encourage you to look at the appendix because that was one thing that I poured a lot of thought into is like, how would somebody else jump in and try this task? So it gives much more detail than the article of different strategies to expect and things that you can see from your students. My work in general, so my work in general falls in two domains. So thinking about area measurement and working with teachers and measurement ideas in general, and then mathematical modeling. And I would say that the way that this task fits in with my research is that my goal is to create spaces where students can bring their their lived experiences, their authentic self to the space, and they can share those ideas and grow. And so I think this task really fits in well with this idea of um, how can we promote pre-service teachers as knowers and doers of mathematics while also kind of exploring and building on what they know and documenting that.
0: So let me push a little bit here. How does this
1: task help teachers bring their authentic selves? I think that the idea of play. So my pre-service teachers, when they come to the task, I think a lot of times in specifically in measurement tasks, we're often given a formula and told, you know, here's the, the area of a triangle formula. This is how you calculate the area of a triangle. But no one really asks students like, here's a triangle. How would you find the area? What would you do? And so I think it puts students and pre-service teachers in the driver's seat where they're actually making the choices and they're able to think about what strategies that they use and how can they contribute to class discussion. And it's always interesting every semester too, because they're always trying to find different strategies or like, can we find another one outside of these five that I could use? Let me try to rephrase what I think I understand.
0: What you're saying is because there's materials they get to play with, that they come in, they enjoy it more, they have more ways of coming up with different ways of thinking. Is that kind of how you're seeing the connection?
1: One thing I think is surprising is that a lot of times they see it as play at first. And then when they realize that it's cognitively challenging, I think they have a different response. But through the task, they they gain this insight. And what I see is that they gain more confidence in their abilities to really think through these problems. And so it's in a space where they feel comfortable trying things. So they realize that we're in the space where they're able to try out different things. And, you know, I think most of them as kids were used to seeing Legos as a creative tool that they can build things and try things out. And so I think in many ways, they bring that same stance to the task where they don't see it as right or wrong. They see it as kind of a play space of we're going to try this, we're going to see what works, and then we're going to report out. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I really appreciated being asked to be on the podcast.
0: So for further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Mathematics Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Eva Thanheiser. Thank you for listening and goodbye.